Well, church family, it was the 1940s that the Shell Oil Company was looking for oil reserves in the jungles of Ecuador, and it was there that they were met with hostility, and several of their workers were killed by the Aka Indians. The word Aka, it means savage. These were people who lived a life of violence. Time Magazine called them the worst people on earth. The various tribes, they were murdering, murdering each other at such a high rate that they were in danger of extermin- extinction. Whenever the government armies went into the jungle, it would lead to significant bloodshed on both sides. Well, this reality really bothered 23-year-old Jim Elliott. Hearing of the Aka tribes slaughtering one another without the gospel, it compelled Elliot to go and risk his life and to go and to declare the good news of Jesus. You see, when Jesus is your life, death is no longer your enemy. And we learn this truth from the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter one. Let me show you. Grab your Bible and turn with me to Philippians chapter one. I wanna take just a minute and just say thank you so much, Faith Family, for allowing me the opportunity to be away. Uh, Last week, I had the opportunity to, I guess it was two weeks ago, had the opportunity to go to summer camp and uh, be a camp pastor at Centrifuge. Uh, There's probably about 300 teenagers from all across the Southeast. Got to to see 30 of them come to know the Lord and got to baptize several of them in the ocean, which was a phenomenal experience to get to be a part of that. I really got to spend some time pouring into some youth pastors and pastors who were really discouraged and just needed someone to come on and encourage them. And it was kind of heartbreaking for me uh, just to kind of meet with these guys who are leaders and shepherds who are just really hurting. Um, And it was interesting. I was meeting with one of our deacons and he made the comment to me. He said, Kenneth, you know, the health of Westwood was able to pour out through you into into these other men who needed it. And that's a really good word. As I was down there and getting to invest in these kids and see life change take place, it made me long for home here. And I'm so grateful for the Lord's kindness that I can't wait to get back with my faith family. It's just a wonderful gift to be together. Throughout the month of July, we have looked backwards throughout church history to study the lives of men and women who have been faithful to Jesus and his gospel. We've studied the life of Lottie Moon, a woman who has impacted millions of people through her ministry in China, as she was preaching the gospel, making disciples, planting churches, being used by God to spread the gospel far and wide. Her impact continues as the annual Lottie Moon Christmas offering is given every year in honor of her sacrifice. We saw the life and ministry of Adoniram Judson, a first American Baptist missionary who went to Burma and he suffered greatly. But because of his life and ministry and his faithfulness to Jesus, God was so kind that today there are more than 5,000 churches and 1 million believers in Burma, now Miramar, who can trace their spiritual heritage directly back to Adoniram Judson. Today we're gonna be the man who was martyred at the age of 28. Jim Elliott, along with Ed McCauley, Roger Udarian, Pete Fleming, and Nate Saint. They went to engage the Wodani people in the jungles of Ecuador with the gospel. On January the 8th, 1956, all five men were speared to death on the Carrere River in Ecuador. But God would use their lives 
and their deaths to impact the world for Jesus. That's what we see God doing in the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter one. Paul is imprisoned in, the, in Rome and he's writing this letter to the church at Philippi to remind them that they are together for the gospel and that's the gospel that leads them to find joy in Jesus. He begins the letter by thanking God for them and their partnership in the gospel. And that verse six, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. He then outlines in verses nine through 11, how he prays for them to grow in knowledge and every kind of discernment, that they would be pure and blameless and filled with the fruit of righteousness. He sees his imprisonment for what it is, verse 12, the advancement of the gospel. And his imprisonment has blown gospel confidence into the sails of other believers. Look at verse 14. Paul says, most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. You see, Paul's imprisonment stiffened the spines of other believers. You see, Christ-exalting boldness is infectious. Word had spread throughout the imperial guard that Paul was in prison because he just kept preaching the gospel. He kept declaring that there is a king greater than Caesar and his name is Jesus. Paul's boldness, it spread, it infected other believers. When I was a college student at the University of Kentucky, I was in a class with about 100 other students and the professor thought he'd take a shot at Christianity and he said, Christians believe in the fairy tales like life after death. Well, I raised my hand and I said, sir, the Bible says that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You could Cut the tension in the room with a knife. Anybody here ever had back sweat? Okay. The whole room got silent and looked at me. And then he said, well, that's your interpretation. The girl next to me goes, that was awesome. <laughs> what happened? My boldness brought courage to her. She was a believer. And what it took is one person taking a strong stand for Jesus and it infects other people. That's what Paul's talking about in verse 14. He is taking a bold stand for the gospel. He's fearlessly declaring the hope of Jesus. And so other believers are stepping out in faith. But there were some who mocked the gospel and they were preaching the gospel with false motives, verses 15 through 17. But Paul didn't care. Verse 18, Christ is preached and in this I rejoice. So now as Paul is writing this letter, he's not certain if he's gonna be released from prison. Yet his hope is that no matter what, Christ would be honored through his life or even through his death. Then he writes, one of the most powerful sentences in the entire Bible. A verse that Christy and I, we, we have planned to have put on our tombstones. Philippians 1, verse 21. For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. All oh, the depths of the riches of this marvelous text. This morning, we're gonna see two components of Paul's personal mission. As he's writing from prison, he's made up of mind, this is how I'm gonna view my circumstances. This is how I'm going to view my life. He says, verse 21, for me. 
This is my mission. This is how I'm going to approach the imprisonment that God has ordained for me. The first component of his mission is this. To live is Christ. To live is Christ. Verse 21. You see, when Paul met Jesus on the Damascus Road in Acts 9, he would never be the same. He would be forever changed by Jesus, the one who gives life for all who believe upon him. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, for I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Why? For Ephesians 2, we were dead in our sins and trespasses, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love for us, made us alive. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 4, it says, Christ, who is your life, when he appears, you will also appear with him in glory. In John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. In John 10, 10, Jesus says, I've come that you may have life and have it to the full, have an abundant life. Jesus came to give life to all who trust upon him. This is what Paul is referencing here. If my life exists on this earth, if I'm going to remain in prison or if I'm released to live as Christ, Christ is everything. He is my life. He is why I exist. You see, when you believe the gospel, you are united to Christ and you are given a new life in him. For far too many of us, we say sports is life. Lake life is life. Career advancement is life. Money is life. Entertainment is life. Politics is life. Things that are good in and of themselves, but they're cheap imitations of the greatest treasure, Jesus. To live is Christ. You see, when you believe the gospel, when you trust in Christ, he changes you and your life becomes all about him. To live is Christ is a declaration of your life's mission. This is who you are, it's Christ. Jesus is all. He is everything to me. He has bled and died on my behalf. He rose again to give me eternal life. And now I am hidden in him and I am his forever, both now and forever. My life is all about one thing and it's Christ. Paul says to live is Christ. But secondly, we see in verse 21, the second component of Paul's personal mission is to die is gain. Now, this is a startling statement that Paul makes here. For the believer, when you trust in Christ, the worst possible thing, death, becomes a benefit. In verse 23, Paul viewed departing this world and going to be with Christ as far better. But to remain here is to work for the good of the church so that others might treasure Christ. Verse 24, to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Hear me, if you are still breathing, you still have purpose. And that purpose is to invest in people who will impact their world for Jesus. That's not just our mission statement as a church, that's your mission as a believer. The reason you're still breathing is so that you might make disciples. You can impact your world for Jesus. This is what we do as believers. And so if you've still got a heartbeat, you've got a reason to wake up tomorrow morning and charge forward. 
You've got purpose and meaning that God has placed before you and that is to invest in people who will impact their world for Jesus. Disciple making is why you're still breathing. It's so that we might raise our children to know and love and follow Christ. It's so that we might impact our neighbors. We can tell our coworkers about Christ. This is, this is why we're still here. And Paul says, man, this is, I'm remaining in the flesh for your sake. I'm ready to go be with the Lord. To die is gain, but I'm here for a purpose. And you see, because the gospel is true, verse 21, death is gain. Not even death itself can separate you from the love of Christ. You see, at the cross, Jesus took away all that stood against you from the fall of our first parents in Genesis 3. Sin, separation from God, hell, judgment, death. They are all abolished by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, death, the last enemy, is off the table because the tomb is empty. I've got to get an amen for something like that. This is rich truth, y'all. This changes everything. This changes everything. Through the gospel, not only does Jesus wash away your sin and grant you eternal life and impute his righteousness to your account, but in the gospel, he destroys the devil and he frees you from fear of death. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. This is a text. If you fear death, Plant yourself in those two verses until the Lord roots out that fear of death. Hebrews 2 verse 14. Now, since the children have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these so that through his death, watch this, he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is the devil, now watch this, and free those who were held in slavery all their lives by their fear of death. You see, the cross of Christ not only defeated the devil, verse 14, but the death of Christ also liberates everyone from fear of death who trust in Christ. Which means you don't have to be afraid of taking your last breath. You don't have to be afraid of death anymore. Jesus died to set you free from that. And when you experience the liberty and the freedom of what Christ accomplished for you in the gospel, think of how dangerous you can be for Jesus. Because the worst possible thing that could happen to you, death is off the table. Paul says to live is Christ, but to die is gain. This is amazing here. The gospel that God gives to you gives you freedom. Freedom from like the worst possible things that could ever happen to you. Isn't that liberating? So it's like, the only thing that can really hold you back is yourself. Death's off the table. I'm no longer headed for hell. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm free. I don't even have to be afraid about the moment that Jesus calls me home, whether it's this afternoon or 50 years from now. It's freedom. This is the freedom the gospel gives to everybody. And this is yours. That's why Paul says to die is gain because you gain Christ. This is so rich. This is where we can declare with the apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, in which he says, um, where, O death, is your sting? 
Where, O oh death, is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's victory over the last enemy, death. So now you can go and live in freedom, not scared of when your last day is gonna be, how it's gonna happen or who's gonna be there because Paul says, verse 21, to die is gain. Now for the unbeliever, this makes no sense. For the unbeliever, this is the worst possible scenario. How in the world can that be gain? You see, death is only gain when Christ is your life. For anyone who denies the gospel, for anyone who lives for sin and for themselves, death is an eternal loss. For the unbeliever who says to live is money, to live is family, to live is self, to live is my career, to live is sports, to live is comfort, to live is for myself. When death comes, there's no gain. They lose everything that they treasure, everything they're holding tight to in their heart, anything they love, it's gone the moment they die. But for the believer... Death releases us from suffering and struggle and pain and sorrow. Death is gain because you forego the troubles of this world. But more than that, you gain Christ. You get your greatest reward. You get your treasure, Christ. You get Jesus, fullness of joy, glory, eternal communion with the Lord, gathering with the angels and with the saints who've gone before us, perfect holiness, perfect knowledge. For the one who puts Christ at the center of your life, what you have will be never taken away from you. It's yours forever. This is how death is gained because when you take your last breath as a believer, you're receiving your greatest reward. You get the one whom your soul has longed for. You gather the treasure who is Christ. So Paul's making the case that no matter what happens to him, he wins. Whether he's released from prison or executed, whether it's life or death, whether he returns to ministry or goes home to glory, Christ will be glorified and it's for his good. And that is how Jim Elliot viewed his life. Jesus was everything to him. And he declared it with his lips and he declared it with his life. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Three takeaways from Jim Elliot. I put these in your notes. The first is this. Love Jesus passionately. Love Jesus passionately. Jesus was Jim Elliot's first love. When you read Jim's journal entries, you see a man who had a white hot fire in his heart for the Lord Jesus Christ. October 28th, 1948, he wrote, prayed a strange prayer today. I covenanted with my father that he would do either of two things, either glorify himself to the utmost in me or slay me. By his grace, I shall not have his second best. For he heard me, I believe, so that now I have nothing to look forward to but a life of sacrificial sonship or heaven soon. Perhaps tomorrow 
What a prospect. He prayed a week later, forgive me for being so ordinary while claiming to know so extraordinary a God. Loving Jesus passionately is what Jesus calls all of us to. In Deuteronomy 6, 5 and Matthew 22, it's the greatest commandment. To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You see, loving Jesus passionately is not just a core value for our faith family. This is a call of following Christ. This is not just a really cool slogan we're putting on t-shirts. It's a declaration of which I'm saying, Jesus is my all. I want to passionately love him with all that I have. I want Jesus to be my everything. Yes, we are to love our families. Yes, we are to love our communities. Yes, we can love our ball teams. But those loves should pale in comparison to our passion for the Lord Jesus. May our love for Christ be ever increasing as we see the great day drawing near. I pray for you and I preach to you to accomplish this end. That you would love Jesus passionately. You would see him for who he is and what he has accomplished for you. And you would say, he is all I desire. I want more of Jesus. Well, where did Jim's love for Jesus first begin? answer is his father. The next takeaway is fathers set the spiritual temperature for your family. Jim's dad, Fred, was an evangelist. He traveled near and far preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jim wrote to his future wife, Elizabeth Elliot, he called her Betty. Betty, I blush to think of things I have said as if I knew something about what scripture teaches. I know nothing. My father's religion is of a sort which I have seen nowhere else. His theology is wholly underdeveloped, but so real and practical a thing that it shatters every system of doctrine I've seen. He cannot define theism, but he knows God. We've had some happy times together, and I cannot estimate what enrichment a few months working with him might do for me practically and spiritually. Jim wrote about his dad in his journal in which he said, when I think of how far he has gone into the secret riches of the Father's purposes in Christ, I am shamed to silence. Dads, are you the godliest person your kids know? Are you the godliest person your kids know? And if the answer is no, then it begins today in which you declare with your heart, for me, to live as Christ and to die as gain. You see, the aim for us as patriarchs, as shepherds, leaders of our home and of our families, we set the spiritual temperature of our family. We set the pace. And so we spend time with Jesus day by day. We grow with him. We walk with him. We're transformed by him. And then he changes us. And all of a sudden, we look completely different. The way that we treat our wives, the way that we treat our children, the way that we treat our grandchildren, Jesus changes us. So question, dads, are you the godliest man that your kids know? And if not, today's the day and say, Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my life. I want to set the pace. I want to see future generations follow Christ. 
For me, I'm praying for the next 10 generations of Bruce's to treasure Jesus above all things. And so I'm seeking to set the pace for my kids and my grandkids and those who have yet to have been born so that they might treasure Christ above all things. Dads, let's set the pace for our homes. Let's go out and watch what God might do. He may raise up a child of yours who people are talking about 60 years after his death. The third takeaway is that the Great Commission is urgent. Jim Elliott wrote to a friend, the command is plain. You go into the whole world and announce the good news. To me, Ecuador is simply an avenue of obedience to the simple word of Christ. There is room for me there and I am free to go. The will of God is always bigger than we can bargain for. Jim wrote a letter to his family in which he said, remember, you are immortal until your work is done. But don't let the sands of time get into the eyes of your vision to reach those who still sit in darkness. They simply must hear. One of Jim's last conversations with his wife, Betty, Elizabeth Elliot, which by the way, if you ever see a book by Elizabeth Elliot, buy it, all of them. She will serve you well. They had this conversation in which Betty asked him, will you use your guns? He responded, we will not use our guns if they attack. When she asked why, he simply responded, because we're ready for heaven. And they're not. On January 8th, 1956, two cultures clashed. One that sought to kill, one that sought to bring life. Having had positive encounters with the Wodani people in the days leading up to January the 8th, the men waited with anticipation for the Indians at the river. But on that day, 10 Wodani Indian men thrust sharp spears into the chests of all five men. This leads us to our impact point. Trust God to accomplish his purposes through your life and your death. Eight years earlier, Jim wrote in his journal, Father, take my life, yea, my blood, if thou wilt, and consume it with thine enveloping fire. I would not save it, for it is not mine to save. Have it, Lord, have it all. Pour out my life as an oblation for the world. Blood is only of value as it flows before thine altar. In 197 AD, early church father Tertullian said these words, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. After the five men were slain in that river, grief and sadness gripped the hearts of their wives and their children. The widows of the five missionaries asked the outraged Ecuadorian government not to send the army against the Indians. These women continued to pray for gospel access. Within three years, Elizabeth Elliot, her daughter Valerie, and Rachel Saint were living in an Aka village teaching the Indians about a forgiving Christ. The spirit moved in the hearts of the Akas, and many of the men who speared those five later came to faith in Jesus. One of them, Minkaye, became a grandfather figure to one of the missionaries' kids. A church was planted. Then the Aukas began sending out people into other tribes to share about this forgiving Christ. 
The people who were once violent were now pursuing peace with one another because they had first found peace with God through Jesus. Nate Saint's son would later come to Christ and be baptized in the same river as his father, where his father was slaughtered. The man who baptized him was the man who killed his dad. When the story broke of the death of these five men, it spread like wildfire out throughout the world. God began stirring the hearts of men and women to go to the nations. Quite literally, even to this day, men and women are taking the gospel to the nations who are inspired by the example of these men. You see, these five men were speared to death for the sake of him who was speared in the side at the cross. Jim Elliott is famously quoted as saying, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up his lake life, gives up his big truck, gives up his vacation gives up his safety and security and comfortable life, gives up travel ball, the nice house, to gain what he cannot lose, Christ and his kingdom. Jim gave up his life and received a better one that he cannot lose. What about you? What's holding you back from giving Christ your all? What is it in your life in which you're saying, Lord, this belongs to me. Whatever that is, you're going to lose it. But if you're willing to offer it to him and say, God, here is all of my life. Watch what God will do with you. You will then begin to declare with the apostle Paul and with Jim Elliot, for me to live as Christ. And to die is gain.